The High King of Heaven invites us into his presence on the basis of the finished work of Jesus. What a truth. What a truth. We live in a time in which information is overwhelming us. It's called data. They've upped the estimate. They're saying, used to say, every two years, uh, everything would be doubled. But um, now it's even a little faster than that. Three little pieces of, of, of that. It's hard to grasp everything that's going on. But according to Google... 40,000 search queries are performed per second. Now, this is just not some little teenage girl somewhere in Alabama. You know, it, it, this is everybody all over the world. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, but that, that translates to 1.2 trillion every year. Facebook, every minute, 3125 million messages are sent, and 2.77 million videos are watched. On YouTube alone, not, all, not on not all the other platforms or what's available, every minute 30, I'm sorry, that's way, way wrong, every minute 300 hours of video are uploaded. Just unimaginable amount of information. So let's, let's ask ourselves a pretty serious question. Are our lives better because of it? Well, you know, you can reserve a hotel, you can go online and watch a, listen to a couple people talk and then go tell your doctor, you know, what he didn't learn in med school or, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can do that, I suppose. Um, the fact is that more information really doesn't help us. It's how we handle, process that information that makes all the difference in the world. And that is called wisdom. Wisdom is that elusive ability to take information and make good, helpful, meaningful, positive conclusions. Do, do you find it just amazing how in our, my life, and, but across our nation and across the world, there is so little wisdom? People just do the dumbest things, make the craziest decisions, and sometimes I'm at the top of the list. They're like, Really? Well, anyway, we're going to talk about wisdom today. Wisdom is God's w way of doing life. God wants us, you, me, to be men and women of wisdom. He wants our lives to be blessed and directed and guided by our God-given ability to take information, process it, and end up in a positive place, a good place, a place that is according to his word and to his will. 
We're going to look at Joshua chapter 9 as we continue to, we're actually bringing our little series to a conclusion, as we look at the ministry of Joshua early on in his years of leading the children of Israel. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses of that, Joshua 9, verses 3 through 15. Uh, and if you would, please stand with me as we read this. Interesting account. Let's look at it. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, that's an important piece, we'll come back to that, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, And the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you, seeing God's told us not to do that? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Shining king of Hezbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Notice they didn't talk about Jericho and Ai, which prompted their visit. There's a reason for that. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. They say that five times in this passage. We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home and the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Father, we ask that your spirit would be our teacher. We desperately need to hear from you. We believe that you want to communicate to us for our well-being so that we can be men and women of wisdom. Lord, I ask that you would protect this dear people from any misinterpretation or inappropriate application that I might make. May, Lord, you use your spirit in our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Accomplish, Lord, what you want in our lives, and we will be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We find several takeaways from this passage. One of them is life is often not what it seems. Life is often not what it seems. Joshua and the the leaders, 
exercised the best judgment that they could. They queried the people. They multiple times interrogated them and got the same answer, which is, you know, that's one way to do things. Uh, It says in verse 14, they sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. They were duped. They were deceived. One of the things I've learned over the years, and I'm told this on a somewhat frequent basis by people who know me and love me, uh, like my daughters and my wife, uh, and, and they, will, they will look at me and, and they'll say, Dad or honey, um, you are so gullible. You're so positive and, and you just, come on, Dad, uh, what are you doing? And I tend to be that way. I have learned, and I never want to be uh, pessimistic or cynical, I kind of think my way of life's a little more fun than than somebody who goes to the other extreme. But nevertheless, uh, I've learned that I don't don't believe what I hear. If somebody tells me something, I'll listen to them, I'll respect them and honor them, but not necessarily accept it. Lots of people say something, then that's another story. And I've also learned that you, you can't believe everything I see because my interpretation of what's going on can often be distorted because I... You know, I, I put my own spin on things. So I have to be very, very careful about that. I remind you of the heritage of Berean Baptist Church. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the apostle... Well, this is what it says. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Berean Baptist Church, I trust in its inception, picking the name Berean was a reflection of this verse. A group of people who said, we're going we're to be students of the Word. And we're going to allow God's Word to direct us, to inform us. That that heritage is true today as well. That there is an unwavering commitment to examine the Scripture. To see if what you are hearing is true. You see, it's important that each of us resist the tendency to to accept what somebody says who may have letters in front of their name like reverend or doctor or at the end of their name like PhD, something like that. That we will, just because somebody has a TV show or a radio program or a pretty aggressive book ministry that we just don't accept what they say. My prayer is that you will not accept what I say without a serious look at the Scriptures. 
and see if what I am saying lines up with the teaching of Scripture. It's critical because life is often not what it seems. The Gibeonites came and, and they were incredibly craftive, crafty. They, they planned this out well. They had all the props right. They had all the verbiage right. And, and, and notice when they talked to Joshua and the leaders, they did not mention Jericho and Ai. They talked about what God had done years ago in Egypt and years ago on the other side of the Jordan. Why? Because in that day, they didn't have satellites and news broadcasts, and you didn't know what was happening within two seconds of it happening. It took time for information to disseminate, and if they had talked about what had happened in Jericho and Ai, the Israelites would have known, hey, they're close. And they're talking about stuff that happened a long ways away, a long time ago. And that makes sense that, you know, the word gets out. They were shrewd in everything that they did. They were convincing. Life is often not what it seems. Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until others come and examines him. Don't do life in your own wisdom and strength. Don't do life in your own wisdom and strength. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. When we do life God's way, when we exercise wisdom, God is honored. God gets the credit. God is glorified. And our lives are better. How do you become wise? How do you become wise? I, I see at least four things in Scripture, four places where it's addressed. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. So recognize that wisdom sources God. Nothing wrong with education, nothing wrong with experience, nothing wrong with being current in your reading and, 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 and all of that. And I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying that ultimately... Wisdom has its source in God. Recognize that. And then ask for it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Notice that, that when we come to God and humbly say, I don't know what to do, God shows up because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If we go through life and simply say, well, I can figure this out on my own. I, I have a, a saying I say to myself way too often. I'll be doing something and I'll say something like, I'm smarter than that stump. I can figure out how to get that stump out of there, you know. And, and most of the time I'm not, but that's, I, at, least, at least I like to think I am. Uh, so ask for it. James, that verse is often taken out of context. That's not a verse for a high school or college student who hasn't studied going into an, a calculus exam and saying, oh, God, help me to do this exam well. Okay? It's, it's, that's not what it's talking about. In the context, it's talking about when you're faced with challenges, struggles, stresses, difficulties in life, when you are overwhelmed with what's happening around you and you don't know what to do, then go humbly to God 
and he will give you wisdom. You've been there. I've been there. It's inevitable. Recognize that wisdom sources God. Ask God for wisdom. Then seek it. Make it a matter of intense focus in your life. The book of Proverbs was written so that we could be wise. Chapter 2, it says this. Notice the aggressive movement, uh, action verbs. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Go through life with a constant awareness that you need God's wisdom and make it a regular, moment-by-moment, daily concern of your life. Come to God and understand he's the source of wisdom. Ask for it, seek for it. And then the fourth thing that the Scriptures tell us is you want to be wise Hang around wise people. Proverbs says it like this, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Who do you hang with? Who are you going to for counsel? Guys, if, if, you're, if you're looking for the, the guys in the bowling league, no, okay? Ladies, don't, don't go to the, the card club or yeah, to, the, to the, the coffee station at work or, or wherever it may be and think you're going to get wisdom there. Hang with, what do you listen to? Who are you reading? What movies are you watching? Years ago, I was, I was given some counsel and I try to do it, I'm not completely successful, and that is never watch a movie that's dumber than you are. And I um, had a conversation recently with some guys here at the church, and, and we were talking about that, and, and boy, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, the really dumb movies are funny, and they're kind of an escapist, but, but be careful about what you allow into your mind, into your life. That's who you're hanging with. Who has your ear. Who is speaking into your life? If you were to sit down and, and candidly share with me what you read, where you go online, what books you read, who you listen to on talk radio, the songs that you listen to, the movies, the TV shows, if you were to do that and be honest with me, I could probably paint a pretty accurate picture of where your brain is, where your thinking is, and your life follows your thinking. The battle of the Christian life is fought in the mind. That's why we are told that our, we are, our minds are being renewed by the Word of God. Be wise. Life is often not what it seems. Joshua and the leaders did not do that. Well, the second thing we learned here is that there are 
there are consequences. Decisions have consequences. In verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, people find out that they made this treaty with these people who live three days away. Now, this is not three days by jet. These are three days by walking, which is not very far. Okay, most of us aren't marathon runners. Uh, we don't go a long way during a three-day period. And, and they realize, what did you guys do? The people grumbled. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, and they had good cause because their leaders had been duped. Now, remember the context that this is happening. The children of Israel crossed the Jordan supernaturally. They went to Jericho and in, in a really odd, funky, weird way, had a complete victory. God showed up. Did it so that they could not take credit. God gets the glory. Then they see this little town called Ai. They scattered out, now ah, that's an easy... That's an easy take. We, that's an easy win. Don't have to worry about that one. Take a few guys up there, and they get, they get beat. They leave with their tail between their legs. Why? Because one guy failed to obey God. God ultimately, when they dealt with it, God ultimately gave them victory. So now these people have experienced what happens when somebody doesn't do what God tells them to do. And guess who those people are now? It's Joshua, their leader, and their significant leaders of the people. What's going to happen to us now? You guys have really blown it. No wonder they're grumbling. They don't know what's going to happen. Proverbs 11.21 says this, Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. 2 Corinthians 9.6, This point is true. Whoever sows, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountiful will also reap bountifully. Here's the takeaway. You are free to choose, but you can't choose the consequences. You are free to choose, but you cannot choose the consequences. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God's not a sucker. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If I were to make a short list of things that I would hope that you would take away in my time with you as, as your interim pastor, uh, I this would be one of them. We are created in the image and likeness of God, and therefore we have a will. God has given us the opportunity to make meaningful, real choices. What we don't have is the ability to dictate the consequences of those choices. I could stand up here and I could choose to, to just fling myself onto the chairs. I could do that. I mean, no one's holding me back. I mean, uh, you know, it, 
I have that freedom. What I can't do is determine what happens when I land. I break an arm, bloody my nose. You guys decide, this guy's an idiot. And we're, he's out of here. You know, get somebody in here that's got a brain in their head. I mean, I can't control those consequences. And that's true in my life and yours. I, uh, I, I just find it so irritating, and I have to not think about it much. When, uh, when, I, when I hear about college students, and, and I assume that a college student can read, okay? I assume that a college student has the understanding of a sentence, a paragraph, of a contract, a fundamental contract. And so a college student says, goes to a lending place and says, will you loan me money so I can go to college? Sure. Here's the contract. This is what the interest is going to pay. This is how much you're going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, the details of the contract and the person signs it. Then they go to college, they're finished up and they've got this bill that's is as much as a house you know, $40,000, $100,000, and then they say, hey, I, I shouldn't have to pay this back. I, you, you should just forgive this. Where's somebody make a law that says, I don't have to pay this back because I don't want to pay it back. I didn't, you didn't think it through. You made a decision and you benefited from that decision temporarily. You get to, get to go to college, but now you can't choose the consequences. The consequences are pay back the student loan. But the idea that I'm not really accountable for the consequences of my choices is, is just so... <clears throat> okay. Uh, but, we, but that's our culture's moving in that direction. That's not the scriptural thing. Now, now for example... There are times where we make decisions, and we do our very best. Joshua and the leaders were, were, were trying. They just failed to go to God, take the final, ultimate, next step. But when we make decisions, sometimes there are what are called unintentional consequences. You know, you see that really, really well when somebody has a baby, they love to have a little baby, but they don't realize what they're getting into. Or somebody buys a house. And you mean, I've got to mow the grass, and I've got to pay a plumber to fix the drain. And, and, and you know, you know, there are unintended consequences. That's one of the reasons why you get people to help you make decisions, people who are wiser than you. In war, there are times where, where there's, a, there's a particular objective. Let's say that there is a... A terrorist leader in a particular house somewhere, somewhere, and and we figure that out, and we want that person taken out, and so we try to use a smart bomb and direct it in there, and 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 the best technology, little kid across the street, dies. That's called collateral damage. You don't like that, but it happens. Even the best intentions don't always fully pan out the way we would like them to be. But, but we must remind ourselves constantly 
that we can't choose the consequences. We have the freedom to make the choice, but we can't choose the consequences. Life is not often is often not what it seems. Decisions have consequences. Sometimes keeping your word can be costly. What happened next in our story is that the Gibeonites fall in disrepute with their neighbors. And the neighbors say, hey, hey, these guys turned on us. They went with the enemy, the Israelites. So let's go get them. And so they organize themselves and they, and they go to attack the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites see this and they call out to Joshua and the Israelites and say, hey, you guys have a treaty with us and you need to come to our defense. And so the children of Israel went to their defense. The children of Israel had to go fight a particular battle at a particular time, maybe not like they planned, but they had to do it because they had given their word. God holds your word, when you give your word, very highly. Psalm 15, this is the question. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Lord, who is welcomed into your presence? Who, Lord, can feel at home with you? Here's the answer. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Skip down a verse or two. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts. Who keeps their word even when it cost them something. When it hurts The children of Israel had to go to to the defense of the Gibeonites because they gave their word. Take away, be careful what you promise. Be careful what you promise. Ecclesiastes 5.2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. My daughters, who are now adults and have wonderful lives, and when they were younger, they, they learned that if they could pull out this particular card, like a get-out-of-jail-free card, or this particular argument, they really had me. And this is what they learned to say. But you promised You said we were going to do this. You were going to do that. And I learned. I mean, we're talking about little kids here. I mean, they're pretty sharp, just like yours and your grandkids are. Uh, And and, and so I learned to almost never make a promise to my children. Never. I might say something like, boy, I would like to go to Disney World too next year. That would be really fun, wouldn't it? Didn't say we're going to do it. Okay, or you know, I, I hope that when you're uh, when you start to go to college, I can help you out with with some of, of that, but never a promise. Or I'll help. I had daughters, so I'll, I'll help you with your elaborate, unre, you know, unrealistic, extravagant weddings. Okay, you know, spoken like a man, of course. You ladies can just 
just discount that one. Uh, but, uh, but I never promised it. Because if I promised it, then I had to keep my word. Because when it comes right down to it, that's about all we've got in this life is our word. And, and I can't throw money at it. I can't, you know, I'm not talking about being sneaky or conniving. I'm talking about just be careful what you promise. Be careful what you promise. Because sometimes keeping your word or your promise can be incredibly costly. It was for them. Life is not often what it seems. Decisions have consequences. Keeping your word can be costly. And then as we read this account, now understand where I'm coming from. I believe that this account is in the Bible by the direct decision and plan of God. And that the Holy Spirit has superintended the process that this story got included. And the New Testament tells me it's for my learning and my warning. So I want to learn what I can learn from this. I want to be warned of what I need to be warned by this. And as I look at it, I find this strange thing happen. This is the chapter 10 of Joshua. This is, remember the, some of you have been around Sunday school for a long time. You'll remember the, the account of when they're fighting and they're winning, but they're running out of daylight and they want some more daylight to finish off the enemy and they pray to God and he makes the day longer. Now when I read that, that's straightforward to me. I don't, you know, there are people who try to give an explanation and all that. I, I'm not in here to debate that. I just think it's what happened. God can do whatever he wants to do. And, but God did this, and he's doing it for people who their leaders got them in trouble because they disobeyed him. What's that tell you about God? God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. Now, is, is God talking out of both sides of his mouth here? These people who occupy the land need to be annihilated. annihilated. They are evil people, and they're going to be a bad influence on you, so just get rid of them. I've promised this land to Abraham, and I'm giving it to you now, and so just wipe them out. And then he lets these people live. What, what's God doing? Is God that inconsistent? No, no. Here's what happened. The same thing that happened with Rahab, who kept the spies hidden at Jericho. When somebody humbles themselves before God, surrenders to him, often by surrendering to the people he brings into their life, and they are obedient, that changes everything. None of the other people groups came to the children of Israel and said, we're your servants, which means we surrender, we'll do whatever you say, whatever you say is right. We know who your God is. We fear your God. Rahab did exactly the same thing, and she was preserved, and the Gibeonites were preserved. 
See, God is a God of grace. And even though the leaders messed up, he showed up. Aren't you glad? That's our God. God uses imperfect, messed up sinners to get the job done so he gets the credit. God's not doing this because Joshua's such a great guy. Joshua fumbled the ball big time. That's our God. In the book of Exodus, Moses learns a very, very important truth. It says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The choir sang this incredible, there's a word for that, I'm, it's more than a song. Anyway, they, they sang a song, okay, uh, and about God's forgiveness. That's who God is. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, anthem, is that an anthem? Slow to anger, abounding in love, I've lost you a long time ago. Love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Jonah, in his, in his self-centered, politically motivated pout, after he finally sends the message to, delivers the message to the end of and they actually repent, and he gets mad about that, this is what he says to God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I think that's a good thing. Jonah thought it was a bad thing. So God shows up. His grace is amazing. God shows up in unexpected ways and times. He did it for them. He did it for Joshua and the Israelites in spite of their bad leadership decisions. And he did it for the Gibeonites. And he does it for you and me today. For you and me today. By the way, God is this incredible controlling of, of, of life. He's, the word is sovereign. It just means he's in control. So what happened here? God established a system of worship for the children of Israel. Gave it to Moses years ago. They had the tabernacle. They moved into the promised land. They had the tabernacle. They ultimately built a temple. Uh, and, and, and part of that, or the critical part of that, is this, this very intense system of sacrifices, all picturing Jesus, never accomplishing anything on the long term because, we, because Jesus was the Lamb of God, the ultimate, final, complete, perfect sacrifice. But until Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, they had this system. And this system required a whole lot of wood for the fires and a whole lot of water to clean things up. And so God did this incredible thing for the, His children. He provided a whole group of people to do the dirty work, to, to do the, you know, they're going to tote the water and carry the wood. Chop the wood. And, and God's providing for them. It's an incredible gift of God. And the Gibeonites get something out of that. They get to live. So everybody's a winner. That's what God does. God is incredible in his ability to do that. Okay? So God's grace is amazing. 
real quick, what's the big deal about the oath? What's the big deal about the oath? You see, when you use the Lord's name, that changes everything. Many, many years ago, I was in a video store, and I was probably looking for a movie that was smarter than me. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and I was watching this family. One of the things of, of, of my life is that I'm constantly observing people. I love to watch people, and, and life is just one big sermon illustration anyway. So I'm watching this family, and these two girls, yeah, grade school, maybe junior high at, at, at best, girls have this video in their hand, and they're showing it to their parents and say, we want this video. We want this one. The parents look at it and say, wait a minute, we've already seen that. And the girls say, no, we haven't. Yeah, we have. I'm sure we've seen. No, we haven't seen that. This is what the girls did. They said this, our hand to God, we have never seen this video. Our hand to God. We, we can't convince you with our statement, we're going to bring God into this thing. Where did they learn that? From mom and dad. In that household, I make this very obvious, easy conclusion. When people say something, it really didn't matter. They didn't keep their word. They weren't people of integrity. But when you throw God's name in, now I really mean it. Now, let your yay be yay and your nay nay. When you're, you know, be people who when you say something, you mean it. And you do it. And that's what God wants. So his name was kicked in. So with my hand of God, that, that changed everything. Okay, have you ever thought of a time in the life of Berean Baptist Church where we need wisdom? more than now. There have been many, many times, many, many significant decisions, and we needed wisdom. But right now, we're in the process of, of discerning God's will for a new lead pastor. We need God's wisdom. Are you consistently, faithfully, asking God to give the search team wisdom? Are you asking God to give the leadership people in place right now, the deacons, the trustees, the mission board, the staff, wisdom now? Humbly saying, God, we, we need desperately your wisdom. Let me challenge you to do that. In a few weeks, Lord willing, see, that's my, you know, Lord willing, okay, uh, I'm going to do a message on, on how to treat your pastor. We need to be praying for people in leadership. Pray for those people who are making those decisions because this is, this is a time of transition, a time of uncertainty, a time of change, a time where we desperately need God's wisdom. Receiving wisdom from God is, is the way to do life. That's what God wants for you. Is what he wants for me. 
It's what he wants for my family and your family. It's what he wants for our church family. Just remember that life is often not what it seems. Decisions have consequences. Keeping your word can be costly. And God's grace is amazing. We have a great God who loves us, who's provided for us, who we serve, and who wants us to have the benefit of his wisdom. If you are in a point in your life where you are making decisions that you really want to talk to somebody about it, please let us know. We want to do that. We're available for that. Please be praying for those in leadership positions here at the church. Critical time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account. We thank you that there are lessons to be learned and warnings, the things we need to avoid. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in our everyday lives, that you would give us wisdom, Lord, as we make small decisions and large ones, that you would guide the leadership of the church and ultimately, Father, the congregation as they make a choice eventually about who the next lead pastor will be. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, your goodness to us. Thank you that we have been in your presence, that we are able to worship you. Thank you that you are, through your spirit, indwelling us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to accomplish great things in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you.